Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Like welcome back to the Young Hearts Run Free podcast. We are on to episode nineteen of season four now. Incredibly, getting to the home straight of season four. And joining me as ever is the indomitable John Cassidy. <laughs> I just pick, pick a word, sorry. That's a better word. No, that's cool, man. I'll take that in every day of the week. Good to be here. I, I mentioned last week, right up front, about folk kind of smile on their pus. I've got a wee smile on my pus today because I actually had a wee run, but more on that in a wee bit. So it's all good in the head. Well done. Thanks very much. But we'll speak a wee bit more about that in a bit. I think I would like to give the first shout out of the day to our listeners. And that that's because of the reaction that we got. The last few weeks have been absolutely brilliant. But last week uh, with Debbie's podcast, the reaction was fantastic. A great buzz about the place, as they say. And uh, Debbie delivered as she does again so thank you very much to everybody for tuning in that was uh, much appreciated absolutely not it was a it was a class episode and yeah thanks again for everybody giving us a shout on social media because we like that john don't we oh man so about strokes dv boy and i love a stroke and all the goodness it was coming it gave me loads of warm fuzzies all week so um yeah it was it, it's great and it's also great i think that, We'll say that time and time again, the people that we get on are so humble to share their time with us. Debbie typified that and uh, it was really, really brilliant last week. But I love the fact that people are starting to use the sort of language that we use. Um, and there's no years of grace, it's just like Debbie, man. She comes on, tells it like it is, and uh, people seem to really engage with that. So, and that's what we're all about. So, again, thank you. Thank you all very much. Go say thank you both. I think there's more than two folk at the <laughs> I know. Have we got any other thanks? Uh, just a big that thank is. you to you, Stephen, man. Oh, that's thanks, right. Thanks to you. Um, more on that later, too. Stephen, give me a wee nudge today. Um, more on that later as well. Yeah, so. but anyway, on to News of the Week. <laughs> news of the Week? A new <laughs> feature. Fuck, I'm all for new features. Right. A News of the Week, I, I take it. Uh, in the green room, Stephen and I were having a wee discussion about what's floated our boat this week. And yeah. I think there's been a couple of things um, that we noticed from last weekend. The, probably the, we know that the, oh, we'll try and say it, Chateau Hall. Chateau Row. Chateau Row event went ahead. So well done, everybody that took part in that. We've seen some social media post about that so it's great that it went ahead more on the sort of windy side of stuff in a wee bit as well but we also know that the Falkirk Ultra went ahead last week too. Yeah didn't it? It looked, a, it looked a great event, it looked really well staged, in fact I was getting a wee bit of the FOMO. Aye definitely, yeah. well, I mean, I've had that for about three weeks now, mm. even just seeing folk doing anything more than a walk but um, yeah it was brilliant and I want to give, well, we've got two or three shout-outs that we want to give. First shout-out is to Pam Smith, who is a friend of the show, um, friend of the FKT, 
Pam supplied us with cheer, pork pies and fat coke coming down for the hermitage, towards the hermitage. And um, Pam took part in the Falkirk Ultra last week and she completed it and she had a great day out. But I know she's put in a lot of hard graft in her prep. Pam is coached by John Connolly, one of the pylon dudes, um, and she has reaped the rewards of her hard graft. So well done to Pam. She's uh, she had a good day out. Aye, well done, Pam. It was good to see you. Um, all that hard training pay pay rewards. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we'll have to catch up with Pam to see if pork pies was part of her nutrition strategy. So. Coming at you soon, Pam. Coming at yeah. you soon. And there was um, other familiar faces. There was. There was one certain, one certain James Stewart was in the hood. Good to see him back, toeing the line. Yeah. And it's been commented on that James ran the whole thing with a big smile. So doesn't surprise us. Doesn't surprise us at all. No, James is. And it was good. So James finished second man. In the in the Falker culture as well. So back on the podium for James. Um, a good day. I think he was just do stretching the legs, seeing how he was feeling. So it turned out to be a, a better of a day for him. So well done. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And also second lady was a, li- a listener at the show. Ruckel, Ruckel, Ruchel. Right. We know her as Lindsay. We know her as Lindsay McLaughlin now. Lindsay McLaughlin. I had to do a bit of thorough research on Strava because there was no way I was going to embarrass myself with trying to say Ruckle, but I just have. Anyway, um, maybe Lindsay can come on and confirm uh, the correct pronunciation. But on pronunciations, John. Yep. Johnny Logan got in touch with us and tell us how to pronounce that name at the end of the Pennine Way. Kirk Yetham. (laughs) <laughs> there you go, Johnny. Whatever Debbie Kinsani, Debbie says, I'm cool with that. Absolutely cool with that. Um, but Lindsay McLaughlin finished second lady in the Falker Ultra. She had an awesome day out there. So well done to Lindsay. Um, brilliant. brilliant. And Steve and I were having a wee bit of chit chat. We know that Lindsay's got big plans for this year. So that's an awesome start that. Uh, that Lindsay has had. And I think that is our big sort of sporty shout-outs. Sporty shout-outs? Running shout-outs. But you know what? Listeners, if there's other shout-outs that we should be doing, well, ask Ken. Post them in our socials and we're more than happy to uh, to oh, do that, to convey that to the masses. Let us Ken. Defo. Defo. But anyway, on to other things. Other things. Let's talk about this fucking wind. Oh, the feckin' wind. I've been trying to know to think about the feckin' wind, but I think this is the appropriate place to speak about it. Aye. Well, there was a couple of named storms a couple of weeks ago. I remember it was because it was a day that it was meant to be pylon exposure dark. That was the, the that day was one of the mental windy days. And I remember speaking to you that day. Yeah. You were going to be doing one of your long training runs, but there was no way of avoiding it. And come on, it's never went away. Was it? Nah, it's it's been a permawind. We almost oh. it, it, it's it's almost been without fail to fifteen to twenty mile an hour winds every day. And ah there's a wee bit of adapting that you have to do. And also a wee bit of change in mindset 
for me that I need to sometimes give myself a wee talking to to say because it can wear you down and it can yeah. make you feel it can drain you make you feel sluggish um and you well documented you maybe didn't feel quite the effects when you're running with a tailwind um, mm-hmm. as, as you do grafting into a headwind but I'm just retaining the thought John that come the springtime when the winds have dropped and and you know the tulips are out <laughs> that I've got a wee spring I'm extra spring in my step because I've done all this hard work in Aye. the in the wind resistance training tunnel and you've earned it man you've earned that extra spring in your step I wonder what the the bold windy Wilson is saying about all this one, Jink, he did give us a wee bit of a lowdown, eh? Hey, well, you'd think so, but I think he's just, he can be a wee bit of a cruel bugger too, and he just says, there's no feckin' let up in it either on the horizon. <laughs> so the forecast. Suck it up. <laughs> looking, at this, uh, looking at the sort of 10-day forecast, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, 17-mile-an-hour wind, 20-mile-an-hour wind, 20-mile-an-hour wind. It's like, come on, give us a break. Yeah, I so, know it. Yeah, but it's all good. It's all good. Makes you feel alive. It certainly does. It's good. If it's dry, you can get your towels out. It's been a convenient time to be out injured for three weeks. <laughs> oh, oh, anyone? <laughs> no, I seriously, I've been like, I am back in a cage tiger mode. Just maybe being released the day. For those and you know what people do care because some folk have sent me messages and thank you wholeheartedly to every single person that did um, and if you didn't what's holding you back anyway I have picked up a calf injury and two weeks ago this is Thursday two weeks ago the day I tried to go and do a wee trial run to see if I was going to do pylon exposure that didn't work right and I think what I've done is I've really aggravated it pretty badly because I've literally done no very much. I even had to get my, what do you call the chatty marathis, resistance bands out. Chatty marathis. Chatty marathis. Um, I was going through the different colours to find in that was making it a wee bit harder. I was doing calf stretches. I got some lovely advice on, I think it was Instagram, about single, a murder at trying to stand on one leg. I've no balance, man. So I've got to work on that, right? Okay. So I was doing that, calf raises, been doing all them. And then today, actually, you sent me a text message this morning. Well, not an SMS. What's up? You sent me a message this morning saying, what's happening with you? And it, that we chat. And I'd also got other messages as well today asking how I was getting on. They were the catalyst for me. I went out and did a... I think it was just under a two mile run the day, but no pain. I was waiting on, I think I've, in my head, I've thought, this is going to be sore, I'm going to set myself back. And I think it's went too far in my head, and I've actually restricted it. I maybe could have went out run a couple of days ago. So, mm-hmm. um, but I went out the back, and the key now is cockani. That's, that's, the, that's the term I've got to get in my head now, and no glute like a dafty. I was already planning getting out tomorrow morning, 6.54. But we'll see. If I do, it might, it'll still be 
I'll maybe just run two miles for the rest of the week. That sounds a solid plan. Cool. Yes. Brilliant. Good to have you back, John. You've right. now a more authentic co-host of this running podcast. Thanks, man. It's and right. you know what? The wind can stop any time it likes me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait and see the wind will plummet. John's back running. Also, finally, I'm out and about. You, someone you mentioned to me today, there's been changes to the highway code. There has been. There's been new, what do you call them? Clauses, elements, things that you should ken. But they benefit, they benefit runners, or they hopefully will benefit runners and cyclists and walkers, pedestrians pretty much. Yes, ah, it's changing the sort of hierarchy of who gets the, the most vulnerable users, whether that's pedestrians, cyclists or cars, the most vulnerable group of that is mm-hmm. pedestrians and cyclists. And they are now getting more protection. However, yeah. no everybody kens it. You know, so so it's like almost at junctions. Do you know if if you're you're crossing as a pedestrian you get right away so the car has to stop or how that's how I'm reading it. But there's that thing I'm quite I can be quite assertive when I'm out running with cars. And sometimes you kinda need to be, because if you're quite timid do you know they didn't give you enough space or or whatever, yeah. especially when you're running on country lanes. Do you know and you end up? Uh, and there's times you just need to stop and let a car pass because there's a car coming another way, and you need to be so aware of, of the situation. But sometimes you just need to also make it visible that you're there. Yeah, that's the key. That's the and key, man. Just, I suppose it's just the rules have changed. I've read the rules. But how many percentage of people have read the rules? So yeah. you can't trust that a driver knows the new rules. Of course you can't, because and then just assume. Oh wait a minute! I've I've got right away. I'm I'm the most vulnerable. I'm the the, the most common denominator here. So I'll buy a route in front of that car. And the car. Ah, uh, you got to be yeah. We can't so assume it's, it's, it's almost like extra careful. You have to just now and maybe in a couple of years time once the new rules more understood and bedded in then yeah. it'll be it'll take that couple of years for the, the curve to kind of catch up so I, I just thought it worth mentioning. Oh definitely is I know there's been plenty of infographics I've seen out and about about the new changes or the changes to, it's not the new highway code the changes to the highway code Yep. Um, maybe we'll see if we can pick them up and actually start we'll post a couple out eh? And the usual Everybody's got different motivations and the usual naysayers and whatever way you lean towards, whether you're more regularly a pedestrian or you're more regularly a driver. And so there's been a wee bit uproar about it, whether it's the right thing. So if you certain elements and other people saying, well, yeah, of course it's the right thing because it's protecting people and it's designed to lessen the likelihood of accidents. So. But everybody sees things through a wee bit of a different lens, don't they? So I get it all, but end of the day, we're predominantly talking about running and pedestrians. Mm-hmm. So, But also, if somebody knows more about it or has a perspective from a running angle that is worth sharing, get in touch with us. Cause, you know, yeah, I think I, I don't, I'm aware of the changes like you, I've read them. 
I understand that it should be to the benefit of pedestrians, but the most important thing is that you make yourself visible and at all times stay safe. Yeah. And you're out there. Don't assume that, as you say, Stephen, everybody else has the same mindset as you. So, mm-hmm. so always be that wee bit extra, extra careful. Cautious, definitely. So, definitely. Um, revelation time. We have revealed the Alston Baffy man located. Uh, yeah, we've not revealed well, him. We've found him. Right. Well, he's identified himself. Yes. Which is great, isn't it? Yeah, during our conversation with Debbie, Martin Kinsani, about the spine race, which was just last week, it seems longer ago. seems longer ago that we did that. But um, during that time, Debbie described about how the Alston Baffey man... Now, you've got to remember, Tay, there's Alston Lasagna to bring into this equation, Tay. So what would be brilliant is if it was the Alston Baffey man that also gave Debbie the Alston Lasagna. That's a whole different... Sorry, that's me off on a different topic in my brain. Mm -hmm. But we put a shout out that if we could find the Alston Baffey man, we would send him some Young Hearts Run Free merch, and we've done that. Um, So Duncan Anderson is the Alston Baffey man. And just to put a wee bit of context back into this, Debbie asked Duncan if he could get her slippers, her star slippers, out of her bag. And Duncan said, I thought you would have called them Baffies, because he'd heard that term on the Young Hatch Run Free Dialect Dictionary. So, um, and just today, Debbie has posted a photograph of her sitting in Alston wearing said star Baffies. So, who knows? They could be Young Hearts Run Free Christmas 2022 merch. Now, no promise. That's a wee pipe dream I've got. Oof. There we <laughs> go. And there we go. What a happy ending. Yes, it is brilliant. So, yeah. thanks, Duncan. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for two things. Thank you for revealing yourself, but thank you for looking up after Debbie as well. So we're very, very grateful for that. For you uh-huh. and all the volunteers on the Spine Race. Brilliant. Yep. Absolutely yep. brilliant. Okay. Ah, so we're ready to get our guest. I think, I think we're ready to speak about this week's guest, Stevie Boy. We are. He is a really well-kent face on the Scottish marathon and ultra marathon scene he has um he's a storyteller that is for sure and he's got plenty of stories to tell and we only really touch on some of them in this what hour hour and 15 chat yeah yeah that man's daniel kershaw um he has a running cv that needs a couple of pages yeah most definitely i think we're I think we've got a photograph of his. He doesn't. He never spoke a lot about medals. We mentioned medals to him, but he mm-hmm. he sent us a photograph of the medals that he's received, and it's quite a almost needed, needed to be taken with a wide lens, shall we say? Yeah, and you say that, but his, his Instagram handles Medal Junkie, and that maybe <laughs> right. that maybe sells its own story. Um, we speak to Daniel. Well, the main reason that we wanted to speak to Daniel was, and this is kind of finalising our spiny chat, isn't it? Because yes. Daniel took part in mid-January in the Spine Challenger, um, mm-hmm. which is 108 or 115, 
if Daniel corrected us. Um, 108 mile race on part of the Pennine Way. And yeah, Daniel's got an incredible story to tell about how that went. Hang on there. No spoilers. Um, but he's got, he's also got lots more to tell us about. And to be honest, I think we said it at the end, we barely scratched the surface with him. Yeah, but we we did specifically. Daniel was part of Stephen and I's dot watching experience for that week in January, where um, we were consumed by uh, the spine race. And this is just another wee variation on that, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a wonderful, um, very insightful, sometimes painful listen. Um, but you'll get what we mean. When can uh, what your love is dialect dictionary entry as well. It's a belter. Hang on till the end. Good evening, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you? I am. I am very well. And let's bring in Stephen. How are you doing, Stephen? I am also very well. Thank you for asking, Daniel. And great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see yeah. you too. Thanks for having me on the show. Our pleasure, our pleasure. We're really looking forward to this. Next, I wouldn't say hour and a bit, but who knows how long we'll be here. Um, but we we very often, if not always, start off with uh, a very similar question for all of our guests. And that's to find out a wee bit about Daniel Kershaw, about why you run, and also a wee bit about your running history. So the door is open for yourself. Tell us a wee bit about your running history, please. Okay, I was an okay runner at school, at primary school. I was uh, picked to run um, cross country at Schoon Palace twice for the school. And I did okay when I was there. Um, and when I went to high school, uh, I wasn't I wasn't really into team sports, but I still enjoyed my running. And when I got to uni, I kind of got into unhealthy ways. I took up smoking, um, drank like a trooper, uh, and ate loads of junk food, pizza and stuff. Um, pretty much every night and although I didn't put on too much weight while I was at uni when I went to work um, I carried this on for about 10 years you know when I, I worked in offices in IT so um, I ended up putting on about three and a half stone and uh, roll on 10 years my partner was pregnant with my daughter so I decided it's time I needed to do something about this um, or else you know I, don't, I didn't want to die at the age of 40 of a heart attack I wanted to see my daughter grow up so um, I quit smoking and I cut down on the drinking and I um, I went on a calorie controlled diet and I lost three and a half stone in six months. Wow. And at that point, I thought, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm still really unfit compared to how I used to be. So I wanted to get fit. So I started going out and I started running from sort of lamppost to lamppost. I'd run to one and then walk to the other out of breath. And then over the weeks, I built this up to a mile, two miles, and I got up to five miles. Um, and I was dead chuffed with myself. I remember having doms the next day after five miles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then um, at that point, we, I was going off to Tyree with some friends. We'd rented a cottage and someone mentioned that the Tyree 10K was on. So I thought, you know, that would be a natural step up to try a race. So um I don't think there was any places in the race, but I emailed Will. Um, Will runs the Tyree Ultra now, but he he organised the 10K at the time. It was back in 2009. Will came back and said, I can get you a place. I think he was impressed that I was coming all the way from Perth to do it. So he got me a place. 
and uh, I watched some YouTube videos about the Tyree 10K and it was it was like really windy and um, it's so flat and the last miles on beach as well so I was um, apprehensive about doing this I was a bit scared of it when the when the day came about um, I actually I ran it and I really enjoyed it it was a great experience running on the beach was magic too and when I crossed the finish line I got my medal and a friend handed me a half bottle of brandy and then we went to the Cayley and I just thought to myself this is something that I want to do you know I love I love this event and I want to do more of these that was uh, my kind of introduction to events and then when I got home just to come in what year was that that was 2009 sure and see see, just before we go further because I will forget about asking about this you mentioned doms I think you may be the first person that's mentioned doms in 79 episodes that I can remember and maybe somebody else has but that is delayed onset of muscle soreness if I'm not if I'm not that's mistaken. right yeah. yeah so yeah I've had a lot of it over the years yeah so but it does it can happen I suppose it's when you're when you're pushing your body a wee bit isn't it and as you built up and 2009 so were you you mentioned lamppost to lamppost was this pre like couch to 5k sort of stuff or was this just you doing this yourself yeah. I just did it myself. Um, I'd yeah. never heard of Couch to 5K. I just, you know, I found a pair of trainers in the cupboards, put them on and just started running. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. But it just shows you, you, you don't have to be doing half marathons, marathons to experience DOMS, you know. It's, it's when you're taxing your body, it's part yeah, of the cupboard, isn't that it? So. The level, that, that was kind of the level I was at and that was taxing my body at the time. So, yeah. yeah brilliant and then going to Tyree I was in Tyree last summer for the first time beautiful place and I, I did I spoke with Will um, we hired bikes and we spoke about the Tyree ultramarathon it's definitely something that's on my list a wonderful bit of the world you never heard about uh, alcohol and Kayleys though that sounds like a right good gig brilliant they do have a Kaylee after the ultra as well um, pre-covid they did it was a good one yeah, brilliant. Oh, so you've been back and done the ultra? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was better than the 10K. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so we, we, we both interrupted you then. You're not even out of 2009 yet. You're speaking about your 10K. Yeah. What, what happened for you after that? Oh, sorry, Stephen's coming back in. Oh, I just like to get the timeline. You know? Yeah, sure. So that's how it was like, okay, 2009, 13 yeah. years. Um, yeah. Back over to you, Daniel. Okay. Well, um, when I got back home, um, I started building my mileage up and I got up to about eight miles. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing to run a marathon? But I thought at the time it was way beyond me, you know, but I uh, decided to book a, I booked another 10K, Pit Lockery 10K, and I booked a half marathon, um, which was the Heaven and Hell half. I don't know if you remember that. It was at Schooner Aerodrome um, and it went up the back of the Sidlaw Hills. And the heaven was the the downhills and the hell was the up. And it was one of the toughest huffs in the country at the time. So I thought that would be a good challenge and it would be fitted well for my training towards the marathon. And the marathon I picked was Edinburgh because overall the course profiles kind of downhill. And I'd never experienced a kind of city event. I'd seen London on the TV with all the crowds. And I thought, you know, with all the crowd support at Edinburgh, it might help me get along. So I uh, booked that. 
And during my training before the marathon, I managed to run the marathon distance twice, sub four. So I thought, you know, I'll maybe try and go for 3.45 at Edinburgh. Looking back, that was pretty ambitious and you'll find out why soon. <laughs> but um, I thought it was a good idea at the time. And uh, anyway, everything was going fine. The Lottery 10K went fine and the Heaven and the Hell half went fine. I did it under two hours and just uh, the marathon day came around and uh, my partner and my baby daughter came with me to stay in a hotel in advance of that. And with my daughter being like one or two at the time um, and all the noise and traffic outside, she was up all night. So she kept me and Claire up all night as well. It wasn't her fault, you know. So um, the next morning I went out to the marathon and I joined the crowds and it was really a really hot day, even in the morning. And over the course of the day, it got up to, I think, about 22 degrees. And I don't know if you know, um, in 2009, the Edinburgh Marathon claimed all the water had been stolen. Uh, 6,800 bottles of water were apparently nicked. So I set about running and I was running and I got to the halfway point and I was desperately thirsty, but there was no water to be had. So... I'm a stubborn person, you know, so I just kept on pushing, wanting to get my 3.45, but I was really thirsty, there was no water and it was really hot, but I just kept on going. So I got to 17 miles and uh, there was still no water. There was people sitting at the side of the road, people walking, but here's me still stubborn, just pushing on. And I got to mile 20 and I begged some water off, uh, off someone just in the crowd and they handed me, like a spectator, handed me this bottle of water and it had just their dregs in it. So I drank that off. It didn't even touch the sides of my thirst. You know, I was just so thirsty. And I got to mile 23 and a half and I'd never been so thirsty in my life. And I just dropped like lead on the ground and I'd collapsed with dehydration. Just a total blackout. So I woke up on the ground and I had this, uh, I had like about 10 people around me, a couple of runners and uh, about eight spectators. And someone was slapping me in the face uh, to try and get me to wake up. So I came to and... Uh, <laughs> They asked me like what my name was and my date of birth. And I knew those two facts, but I didn't know anything else about myself. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I did for a living. I didn't know I had family waiting in a hotel room for me. When they told me that I uh, had just run a marathon, I was actually impressed. And I thought, oh, it's cool. I'm someone who runs marathons. But I didn't, I didn't know how many I'd run. I didn't know that was my first one. I saw the tattoos on my arms and thought, you know, I didn't know I had tattoos. And thankfully, I liked them because I can't wash them off. But I was just, uh, it was just such a weird experience, you know. Um, and the irony was I was running it for Alzheimer's Scotland and I was getting a glimpse into the, the sort of, into the mind of a, an Alzheimer's sufferer, not knowing who I am or my family are or anything about me. Mm. So at that point, um, the St. John's ambulance came along and they scooped me up and they took me off to this tent. And it was a big marquee. And there was lots of people in a similar state. I don't know if they could remember who they were or anything, but they were lying about on the ground and they lay me out. And I started having a fit, um, like a physical fit. Um, my back was arched and I was having convulsions and my arms and legs were thrashing about. And at that point, I started to get all my memories back. And I remembered, you know, who I was, um, that I had family at a hotel, the job I did, just all this came back to me. And then it hit me that I was running for Alzheimer's Scotland and had raised all this money um, for charity. And um, I'd let down not just myself, but I'd let down the charity. I'd let down my work colleagues, my friends, my family, everyone who'd sponsored me. 
So I just went into this deep depression lying on the ground thinking, oh God, I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to pay all those people back, explain what's happened. But when I got back, um, I sent an email around work and everyone was totally understanding. And they actually, because I'd been such through such a big trauma, they thought it was more of an achievement than actually if I finished the race and people started giving more money. Um, they, I think I raised about double in the end. Which was, uh, which was great to get sort of positive out of such a negative experience. Yeah. But um, I remember That's... as I was lying on the ground that the, this medic um, from St. John's Ambulance, he made this flippant comment and he said to me, your marathon running days are over, son. And like most people would think, you know, that's upset me. But most people would think, oh, well, maybe they are, you know, I'll, I'll not do any more. But to me, it was like a, a red flag to a bull. I'm a Taurus, I'm uh, a star sign. So I was like, uh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do another marathon. And that yeah. sowed a seed in my head to, to go out there and do it again. So he kind of did me a favour. Well, little did that St John's Ambulance person know what he'd sparked, you know. So maybe, aye, maybe, maybe you're doing a wee thank you. Maybe your partner wouldn't agree with that. But, but you know yeah. what, I think too, and I love the fact that you've, you've, what you've just shared, that the generosity of human beings turning that, the, the fundraising thing. Because let's be honest, you literally pushed yourself to your limit with that. I did, yeah. You know, um, thankfully you're healthy and you're all right, but that, that, could, that could have been a, well, I'm not underplaying it, very scary incident. Um, yeah. And was there ever, did anything come out of that with regards to Edinburgh not having the water then? I think they got slated in the press. Um, there was rumours that the water hadn't been stolen, but you know I don't know the truth in that, so I, I couldn't mm-hmm. speculate. But um, yeah, who'd recall yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, because we I recall that happening at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, speak frequently, Stephen, about the importance of nutrition and hydration. But when you've not got any, then what do you do? You know, and I, I don't think there's anybody, especially but we as well as sort of be cold blooded Scotsmen. We we're not used to running in that sort of temperature, you know. So yeah. um you're facing everything. So but yeah, thankfully you recovered and the 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 flame was lit to do more yeah. than uh, just a marathon, yeah. I think it showed my naivety. Um, nowadays, if I was in that position, I would just stop and I'd start walking or I'd start jeffing it and I'd seek out water. But I've matured since those days because I, I was just stuck in this mind frame where I need to get this time. That's what I've yeah. trained for. And I suppose when you've put in all that time, like, I don't know, eight months of training into something, you don't want to just give it up just on a whim because there's no water or because it's a bit too warm. You know, you want to achieve your goal. So, but yeah. I think as well you're speaking at that point we don't know anything else when you run a marathon you run a marathon that's what we think there is no walkie bits you're running a marathon and that's what you go and do it's only when you get a wee bit older and worldly wise that you start figuring out well you know what stick a fiver in your pocket you can go to the shop and buy a bottle of water there's no any you're allowed to do that but when you're first setting out you think well maybe that's breaking the rules or whatever things like that you know so um but that it shows john the trust it shows the trust that we put in race organizers yes 
and and if that breaks down, so so Ender Marathonov had to build that trust back up. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of news hit the um the headlines, but you know what I mean. Uh, um, but we are when we're signing up for a race, and you know the race organizer is responsible for things like you know first aid and all these kind of things, all the kit and caboodle that goes with a race and water. No matter yeah. water is. It's a given. I, I would assume it's a given that it's going to be there. I think most people would. And I could. I, I would also be interested to know, maybe never find out, how many other people suffered the sort of same fate as Daniel did that day as well. I'm pretty sure the St John's Ambulance people would have been a wee bit overrun with casualties. Um, I've seen it in blogs and stuff, and people have mentioned people dropping like flies. And that's I have vague recollections of a lot of the day, but that's what I recall. There was either people sitting at the side of the road or people lying down, you know, in places and people looking after them. Um, So I think there's quite a few. Because there are some marathons. I remember London, Steve, in 2018. There was like a war zone, wasn't it? At the end, there was bodies everywhere. And that's when there was lashings of water everywhere. Um, It was a very hot day. Yeah. So... The marathon bug was lit, like John said. And then when did you scratch that itch after Edinburgh, after that trauma? Well, it took me about three months to get over that. Um, I hated running for three months and I didn't do any of it. And then the bug was still there, but I just, the thought of Edinburgh was soured for me. So I thought there's no way I'm going back to do Edinburgh marathon. I've done it quite a few times since, but at the time I was like, no, I'm not, not doing that one again. So what I did was I chose Loch Ness Marathon because it's in late September, early October usually, so it's cooler. And I didn't set myself any time goal either this time. And I just ran it to how I felt. And I trained, but I just saw it as more of a social experience and I ran talking to people. And I finished in about four and a half hours, but I I really enjoyed the experience. I got my medal, I got a a finish, and uh, my family were waiting for me again. And uh, that kind of, again, um, I enjoyed that so much. It sowed a seed into I want to do events. Um, I've got quite an addictive personality, I think. So stuff like this, you know, I don't know. I do things to extremes sometimes. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that, I think. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Teaser alert. So getting to that. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you've you've amassed a fair bit of running since that in the last in the intervening years it's fair to say what's your marathon count sat at just now daniel um i've done 91 marathons and 60 ultras so far um I, i kind of i think it was on my seventh marathon i met a guy called travis wilcox who was the head of the 100 marathon club at the time he was the president and it was it was about 20 miles into the Loch Ness Marathon. And uh, I, I saw his T-shirt and I thought, oh, that's really cool. He's done 100 marathons. So I got chatting to him and it turned out he'd done something like 500 marathons, you know, and he was telling me stories and stuff. And I was like, I want to do this. So I, uh, I ran, shared a few miles with him. And I remember him saying to me, it's the most expensive T-shirt you'll ever wear. And he's right, because with all the entry fees, the accommodation, the travel, the kit, um, I've got that T-shirt. I've got a couple of them, but 
they are the most expensive t-shirts I own. Can I ask a question then? Does an ultra marathon count as a marathon in that context? It does. It yeah. does, yeah. Okay. Anything okay. over the 26.2 um, is classed as uh, a marathon. And does that have to be in a sort of official event? Is that almost the problem? Yes. It, they don't count virtuals and it has to be an official event and also if it was a multi-day event like the marathon disables that's just one event but if it was a if it was like say four marathons in four days the quadrathon over in ireland that would be four events so that's how it works if you get a finish each day then that is one event but if you get the finish say over five days then that's also one event that's it and at what point was it when you met Travis that you thought, I'm going to do this? Or did you get to like 10, 12, 30 and think, hmm, it's possible? No, it was when I met him that, that day. <laughs> I had the race bug um, and I was running, you know, I was running a half marathon on the Saturday, half marathon on the Sunday, the same next weekend. I was running almost 100 races a, a year at one point. Um and some through the week that I sneaked in too. <laughs> well, you know what? This is maybe a good chance. Well, I'm sorry, I have to ask it because I do forget to ask things. And I think it's really, really important that before we started recording, I'd mentioned to you that when I started running and I started certainly the ultra marathons, I seen yours was one of the regular names that was on entry lists that I was that I was seeing, and <laughs> I was seeing, yeah, and I think. We said we've only said we said hello a couple of times, but I'm intrigued and the the volume that you've just spoken about. How's how does your body cope with that? Because I certainly my body was struggling to cope with that volume of running on a on an annual or a monthly basis. How's your body been? Well, I guess you don't start doing that. You build up to that. It's just like any addiction. You know, an alcoholic doesn't start drinking twenty pints a day. He starts drinking one. So I, I built up from the, the bottom up and, you know, I, I built up on half marathons back to back in a weekend. Then I went to marathons and then I went to an ultra on the Saturday and a, a marathon on the Sunday. And then, you know, four marathons in four days, 10 marathons in 10 days. It, it's like an addiction because you have to do more to kind of, I don't know, satisfy it. <laughs> but I have matured a lot since these days, I want to add, you know. But you're not answering my question, Daniel. The question I've got is, because I think I can get, you know what, I see a lot, and Stephen will probably burst out laughing at this, I see a lot of similarities. I did the overweight thing. I did certainly did the mm-hmm. drinking and the smoking thing. I stopped smoking. I put weight on when I stopped smoking. That was yeah. the reason I started running, because I thought I was going to die yeah. one day when I was with my wife on a bike. And yeah. But to start to build up to where you are, it would probably take me a decade. And I still, I've been on a decade this year, and I still couldn't go and do that. So have you remained healthy? Have you been blessed with good joints? Because that's a lot of miles yeah. you've got. Yeah, um, fine. I mean, there's been times where I have, I think I've overdone it a bit. In 2016, I did uh, 16 ultras and 17 marathons amongst 80 races and that included the West Highland Way Triple Crown as well and the next week I did the Larry Grew next week after the West Highland Way race I did the Larry Grew Hill race and I think all that that year took a bit of a toll you know I was physically and mentally (laughs) exhausted 
Um, <laughs> I, I did get through it mainly injury free, but sometimes I'd pick up a niggle and I'd just keep going and it would go away eventually. It was like my body got sick of reminding me that it was in pain and it would just ease off. You, okay. know? you must have some petrol bill as well, driving about Scotland to all these different places as well. But that's a different yeah. thing. I mean, it's brilliant, I think. <laughs> When I say you were a regular that I've seen on the entry list, I wasn't aware that you'd done as many over the course of like a year and things like that. And I, I just, I certainly couldn't do that. And we're not, we're not saying to all the listeners, go and sign up for all this sort of stuff. You no. have to build up and know your own body. And you obviously do. You know your body and you're able to, to handle that and to be successful too, you know. So what's your favourite place to run? Um it would have to be, uh, I think, the Northumberland Coastal Marathon. Uh, it starts at Annick Castle and it goes to Bamburgh Castle. Um, and it passes ruins like uh, Dunstanborough Castle and various other ones on the way. And you go over beaches, uh, a golf course, through estuaries, over bridges. And it's just such a beautiful route. Uh, it's organised by a company called Endurance Life. And they have a slogan for it that it revitalises your soul. And I think it really does. It's it's on in February, um, end of February and it's coming into springtime and it's really good to get the distance in early in the year get the marathon distance in in the legs and i always feel sort of better mentally after doing this this race it's absolutely stunning yeah not, I mean, sorry there you go Stephen. i would say it's not one that, that i've it's come across i've come across that that event yet i want to do it now it sounds it sounds great and it's a wee bit for me an unexplored part of the country um where it takes place is that like Holy Isle type area? Well, it's it's not far from Holy Isle, and you've got Haggerston Castle, Holy Island, and Sea Houses in Bambra. But I usually stay in Sea Houses um, when I'm there, and I get chips and mushy peas to carb load the night before. Oh, oh, John's eyes just laugh. <laughs> Brilliant, man. And you know what? I, just when Daniel was talking there about that, something like being revitalised, I think that time of year the time of year we're just approaching actually when the days are stretching the light you're getting some nice sunrises some nice sunsets and everything it's almost like that rebirth of the year to be running yeah. at that time it all just clicks in doesn't it so i totally get in with what the the way that the race organizers are are selling that yeah it's, it's, it's not something i've been aware of um and if there's chips and mushy peas i would be in a bit <laughs> that as well man <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay. So we're here to speak about something that happened relatively recently. I think though that we could speak about Daniel's running adventures for three episodes on their own, right? Because I know that there's a shed load happened um in the interim. But I want to fast forward the clock back to January twenty twenty two. Is that okay? That's fine, yeah. Yeah. And let's let's get spiny, John. Let's get again. We've had a, <laughs> a, a spine theme over the last few weeks. Um and I think um, yeah, I'm I'm getting this the spine tingles on the back of my neck again. <laughs> spiny so, thing. Yeah. Now, Daniel, if you could tell us that the race that you first Sorry, firstly, if you could tell us about the race that you took part in, because it's a wee bit different. The Spine Challenger? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
well, it's a 108 mile race on the, the Pennine Way, starting at Edale and finishing in a place called Hose. Um, and the Spine in Winter is quite a formidable place. I, I kind of relate to it because I spend a lot of time on the Monroes in winter and you're sort of in bog and mud and ice and, you know, the weather's horrible. It's very similar to that, only you've got 108 miles of it. So it's like Monroe bagging in winter for 108 miles not stopping during the night <laughs> so it's quite a, a hard experience but yeah it's uh it's a I good can, one i can see why you were attracted to it <laughs> that, that sort of challenge the darkness the cold the dream yeah yeah that that's it sounds like to me that's the attraction so mm-hmm. can i just clarify that's going from south to north isn't it edales that's right the south yeah okay yeah okay e- cool. edales in derbyshire and um hose is in yorkshire right okay. okay oh i know my geography of the pennine way now after watching various dots yourself included daniel on the dot watching app for <laughs> in january it gave us gave john and i Great entertainment watching you, by the way. Yeah. Country, um, albeit we'll get to the the point of the story. Yeah, I think our our focus of January was in the Pennine Way. You know, we spent that whole week watching watching various dots and looking at the. What I was getting me was I'm rubbish with maps, so I I couldn't I find it hard to figure out the what's the word topography i find it hard to figure that out but yeah yeah no i'm just going to throw that one in there Stephen. but there was a i don't know if you looked i don't know if you looked at the the app daniel but i mean the it was almost like the official route was laid out there and you could follow the dots up and down the route and sometimes it sometimes the dots would go off but we weren't yeah. aware we weren't aware that there was sometimes a planned diversion and I was yeah. shouting at the screen, oh, my God, what's going on? But, um, okay, so sorry, you mentioned the Monroes, you mentioned getting into the Spine Challenger race. Was there certain things, had you had to do a criteria race to get accepted into the Spine Challenger race? No, you didn't have to do any specific race, but you had to kind of sit, submit a wee resume to say, you know, I think if you'd went to them and said, I've done a 10K and a half marathon, they'd tell you to piss off. But if you've done an ultra or a few ultras and you had been on the Monroes and, you know, you could navigate and look after yourself, that's all they wanted to know, that you could kind of look after yourself safely and that you have some kind of potential to possibly finish the race. So, mm-hmm. no, there was no specific entry requirements like that what you do need to do is collect a lot of kit and there's a whole sort of 30 items of kit that you need to to get together so it's kind of a two-part challenge in a way because you have to assemble all the kit and then you have to run the race and the kit assembling isn't that easy because it's expensive and the less money you pay the more heavy your kit will be so i was i was at the bottom end of the range where you come to buy sleeping bags and stuff and a good one's like 1500 quid or you can get one that passes at 85 quid so i'm like the 85 quid heavy big sleeping bag in my bag so my kit weighed 10 kilos and um, where there'll be other runners with five kilos yeah um so did did you use every item in your kit no but okay. i may have had to so i understand why every item was there 
I yeah. used items that I didn't expect I would have to use. So, you know, all the kits is, is essential. And the spine team are meticulously meticulous about safety. Um, they're very safety conscious. So you do need everything in that bag. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what about preparing for the spine challenger? Where was your training done? Um, well, again, uh, on the Monroes, I spent, uh, I did over 100 Monroes last year. Um, so that was uh, 300,000 foot of climb. And because you're moving slower in the spine race than you are in, or the spine challenger as than you are in a marathon, I think the Monroes are better because you spend more time on your feet. If you were going into the spine challenger thinking that it's a kind of running race, you'd be disappointed, I think, and you might find it harder having to go at a slower pace. Um, if you look at it compared to the West Highland Way race, I think the the winners of the West Highland Way race kind of do it just under seven miles an hour, whereas the, the winners of the Spine Challenger will do it just maybe just over four miles an hour. So there's quite a difference there. And the West Highland Way is tough in itself, but the spine terrain is just a different level. It's really, really hard. Was it as we've heard a lot about boggy conditions um, yeah. from from Martin Heggie and from uh, Debbie Debbie Martin Kinsani? Was it worse than you expected, or was it what you expected? Well, the day of the Challenger that starts the day before the Spine Race, and that day apparently had the worst weather in Spine Race history. Um, so it was like as you were going along, it was as if someone was throwing buckets of water over you as you tried to run. Um, I was absolutely soaked, you know, drenched. Uh, a woman got washed down a river by 10 metres. Um, you know, I think she was only about sort of 15 miles into the race. So she had, she would have another 34 miles to go before she got to a checkpoint in order to change or sort herself out. Mm. I, I don't <laughs> think, this is one of these things, I don't think you can quite imagine what that feels like. You'd have to really be there and experience that getting battered by the conditions like that you know yeah I mean, you mentioned heaven and hell that's hard but it's nothing like that it could be a nice sunny day in bonnie persia you know yeah. um it's it's not it sounds like you're going through the certainly the hell the hellish uh conditions on the on the pennine way um yeah one of the you're not you're not selling it to me to go and try and sign up that way. It gets worse. <laughs> yes, it does get worse. So talking about the that pack thing, Joe, ten kilo pack. Now I've obviously ran with Joe essential kit on, but nothing any of that weight. When you were doing your race prep and such like on the Highland Monroes, the Scottish Monroes. Was that becoming accustomed to that weight that you were carrying during that? Yeah, um, it was quite difficult because I did one of the training runs I did was in Glenlochy, and it was over five Monroes, and it's one of uh, Steve Fallon's routes. Steve Fallon has this website that's notorious for creating these massive um, Monroe days. So I picked one of his big Monroe days, and it was twenty-seven mile, and uh, it was something like fifteen thousand foot or something like that and uh or maybe twelve thousand foot and i took 13 hours doing it with this big pack on so i was running off this hill in the dark and um, to to try and well in the last of the daylight and i injured the cartilage in my knee um and that took a whole year to go away but thankfully the the spine well not thankfully but 
COVID caused my spine to be delayed by um, a year. So I'd got over the injury um, before my actual race began. But it, it's just, it's difficult because some of the things you have to do in order to train for some of these extreme events injure you in themselves. Aye, maintenance of the human body is um, is quite a thing. Um, and especially when you're given it a battering like like you basically have been doing for yeah. over a decade. <laughs> I'm not the only one that does these things though because I read about one guy and he was doing the Spine Challenger and uh, he was locked down during lockdown and he built, he was an engineer and he built a giant hamster wheel in his garden out of wood and he ran in it for 24 hours. Don't you think that's brilliant? <laughs> Daniel, I think it's brilliant. I can also see you plotting to build one in your garden. <laughs> if you go on YouTube, there's videos of him. You've probably sitting there with plans on the desk in front of you. Like, oh, that's wonderful, man. I love stuff. You know what? We, I, fantastic. That's the sort of stuff that appeals to me. I couldn't build it, but I would run it. That would be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Some of the things that people have done, and we've mentioned this before, about being creative and innovative with things that they could do. Um, it's brilliant. But anyway, let's get back to the, the, the Spine Challenger. Edel and beyond. Yes. And before we move away from talking about kit altogether, what was your favourite bit of kit that you had? Um, I think my, my Garmin Phoenix 6S, um, it's the, the Phoenix 6 only, it's got a solar charging capability. Not that that's at all useful in Scotland or in the Pennine Way because we don't get much sun, but the watch itself is uh, brilliant. Um, it recorded, I think, about 45 hours of my spine um, race. Wow. And it, yeah, it's got a lot of, lot of different features. I haven't even worked my way through half of them yet, but I'm just enjoying exploring that. And this is the thing that I wanted to, I don't think I actually asked the question of Martin or Debbie. How did you navigate the Pennine Way? Well, you've you've got to carry a map and compass, um, but that's not always practical in the middle of the night because you can't get a point of reference yep. or it's pissing down and or snowing and, you know, you take a map out and it's blown away. So you've also got to have probably the most expensive bit of kits that you have to buy is the GPS navigator. And... Um, the organizers supply the route and you download it onto this navigator and you know you can look at that in the middle of the night and okay. find your way providing you can get a satellite signal was that a challenge at times um yeah mine actually did start playing up um i think i had a bug in my maps or something i it's it just playing up either that or i was just that sleep deprived because i was hallucinating so much during the race um it could be operator error probably most likely Okay, okay. So you're touching on some of the things I think we're going to. You're talking about mm. sleep deprivation and hallucinations fascinate me. They do. It's just the the body and the mind and all that sort of stuff. So do you want to take a wee bit of time and just talk us through your highs and lows of your spine challenger experience? Yeah, I'll try. Yeah. Um, well, I set out from Edale and the, the weather was OK initially until I think we got up Jacob's Ladder, which is quite a steep, uh, steep hill. It's sort of like, you know, the Devil's Staircase kind of thing, if you imagine that. Um, I got to the top of that and the weather was horrific. It was so boggy and icy and just so miserable. And uh, I got absolutely drenched 
for um, 45 miles and my clothes were just clinging to me. I was wearing underwear and Vaseline and everything, but no matter what I did, I was just chafed to bits. Uh, my thighs down below, everywhere chafed, bleeding, cut, no skin. Um, someone might as well have been throwing salt on it. It was that painful. But I kept going. And uh, so that was I think that was one of the lows because I had to suffer that for the, the rest of the race as well. Um, that pain and every step was painful. I'm not joking. It, it hurt me every step. So I got into uh, I got into Hebden and that was a high because Alan Cormack was waiting there. And Alan's a really nice guy. Uh, he uh, he got me food. He gave me a pep talk and he helped, helped me sort my kits. He did a kit, kit check as well to make sure I still had everything with me. And uh, I had a shower. I changed my clothes and I got one hour's sleep. Now, when I went down to Edale, I'd, uh, I went down on the Friday morning. So I left maybe about sort of half past eight, eight o'clock in the morning. And I only got five hours sleep the night before the race. So um, by that point, I'd only had six hours sleep um, since I'd driven down the day before. So um, on leaving that checkpoint, it was uh, it was quite a nice morning and I enjoyed that day. That was another high because I had dry clothes on. Not that my shoes lasted, remained dry for long, but I had dry clothes on and I got chatting to some other runners that I met along the way. So that was good. But then the main low happened. Um, I was one of the last runners to be allowed over the fell of Penny Ghent. It's uh, one of the Yorkshire Three Peaks and it's about... 2,270 feet in height, so it's equivalent of a Graham here. It's called a Hewitt down south, I think. But I was allowed over this hill, uh, but the the mountain rescue kind of uh, spine safety team people got a call to say, don't let anyone over the hill because it's dangerous. Um, it all clagged over and it was slippy, but I was too far gone. Um, they tried to come and get me back and get these other two people back, but we, we'd all gone. I was in front of them by quite a way. But I remember going up this hill and I was thinking this is dangerous because I'm hallucinating really badly. And I ended up sort of climbing over these, clambering over these uh, toes and stones that were dead slippy, these big rocks. I don't even know if that was part of the course, but I just the path kind of led me on there. So I came off, I got back on the path and I got to the top and I was I was really glad to get to the top safely. So I uh, began to head down the other side and daylight broke and the clag lifted and I was coming down into this village called Horton and you have to go into Horton just there's like a little safety checkpoint you have to go to just to get your name ticked off to say you didn't die coming over the mountain so I, I did that but on the way into Horton I started getting this bizarre deja vu it was like you know when you get deja vu have you ever had that before mm -hmm. most likely yeah. but you just get glimpses as if you've been somewhere before well I got it but it was extreme and it was like a, I would see a building in this village and I would recognize it. It was like, you know, it was like I'd grown up in that village. It was such a strange feeling. And I remember studying in psychology at uni that uh, deja vu is when um, sort of what you perceive is is going into your long term memory because your mind's maybe confused or, or, or tired or stressed. You're perceiving stuff going, and it's going straight into your long term memory and not your short term memory. So you're like perceiving it and remembering it at the same time. But when you're that tired, it's hard to sort of like think of these things logically and rationalize this in your head. 
so it was becoming like a, a supernatural experience to me as if I'd been reincarnated or something. So I got down into the, the checkpoint and they ticked me off. And all this is still going on. You know, I'm seeing buildings and recognising everything, um, although I've never been there before in my life. I, I did actually speak to a girl. She got in touch with me and she'd done the race across Scotland and had exactly the same phenomena happen to her. Uh, you know, after 200 miles, she thought she'd wrecked a whole section with friends. But when she asked them afterwards, they'd never been there before in their lives. Um, there's blogs about it on the, the Internet as well, if you want to read more about it. It's, it's interesting. The, the soldiers in, world, in the First World War apparently um, suffered it a lot because of the fatigue and the stress and the sleep deprivation. So anyway, I'm digressing, but I headed off through Horton and uh, someone shouted of me and I turned around and it was this little old woman with a headscarf on and uh, I waited for her to catch me up. And I don't know whether it was because of the sleep deprivation, but she looked just like a witch, you know, like you'd see in the films or TV. And uh, she said to me, are you doing the spine race? And I said, yeah. And I was joking with her and I said, are you? And she was like, uh, oh, I'm going to sign on in Skipton. Um, and we had this, she stank of vodka as well. We had this bizarre conversation going through this village. And she was telling me, oh, they make me go for jobs, but all I want to do is help people in life. And I just got the impression this is a friendly old witch that I'm with. You know, maybe she's here to help me or something. So we got through the village and uh, I turned around and she just disappeared. So when I got home, you know, like after the event, I was thinking, I thought to myself, did that woman actually exist or did I just imagine her? You know, maybe it just all made her up in my head. And I had to Google Skipton and the job centre to see if they were close to Horton and, and if it had a job centre to know that that was that she did actually exist and she did but whether she was a witch or not I don't know <laughs> brilliant. Was, uh, brilliant a really bizarre experience can I I have a number of questions about what you've said and the reason I'm, I wasn't interrupting was I was that was enthralling what you were describing there and I realise there's more to come we've got more to, more to speak about but the first question I have is how did you sort your undercarriage at checkpoint one? Well I didn't um, I changed my underwear and I changed my leggings and everything and I, I, I practically bathed in Vaseline but every mile I still had to put more on so it was still sore. It was still sore oh, after that. Agony, yeah. Because uh -huh. I'm, I'm not lesser mortals. We'd have just chucked it. So, what, what drove you on? Uh, stubbornness, <laughs> stupidity. <laughs> no, I think that there's a, there's a, we've all got, we've all got strengths and weaknesses, and we've got different levels of resilience. I think what you're, dis what you're, what you've displayed is quite phenomenal. Because um, I've a wee bit of chafing is enough to irritate me for days, you know. What you're yeah. talking about is quite quite extreme. The other question that I have, the deja vu, but and you may not be able to answer this. Did you speak to people at the what did you call it Horton? Did you speak yeah. to people at Horton at that checkpoint about what you were experiencing, or were you were you scared to mention it? I don't know. It was. It kind of, it was something quite personal to me. So I didn't really want to talk about it until I put some thought into it because I didn't want people to, I didn't want to be taken out of the race because I didn't seem to be, you know, compass mentis. Um, 
So I needed time to think about it and process what was going on before I started telling strangers that I'm having delusions and yeah. stuff like that, you know. And that that's why I was saying, that's why I used the term there, were you scared to mention it? Because there's that risk of, oh, you're not quite right, let's just have a wee seat here, and then yeah. they're potentially getting pulled, you know, so. Possibly, yeah. I don't think I was thinking that deeply about it at the time. I was just yeah. maybe happy to get into that checkpoint, get ticked off, and then going through the village, it was just nice to get off that mountain, so I, I just felt a bit more relaxed, maybe. Horton is how many miles into the event? Horton is, I think, um, yeah, it's 14 miles from the finish. So although they say that the spine challenge is 108 miles, it's more like when you take the diversions into to consideration, it's more like 115. So um, you're maybe talking 100 and 101 miles into the event. Okay, so you're at the, the business end of things, shall we say. Not that it's all business, but yeah yeah you know the, the finish line draw yeah the home straight some might say the home yeah. straight you've left the witch right and now now i go onto the yellow brick road now it's 14 miles to the end and as i'm heading on this road it's called the cam road and it's an old roman road that takes you into um hose and when i set out there was all these old bricks um it was like from a yorkshire brickworks and they'd been dumped on the track and over the years, they must have been trampled in or laid in. And they've all got names on them, you know, like of brickworks. And you'll know Bill Duff, Stephen. You know Bill yes. Duff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, well, Bill collects these bricks and he has hundreds of them in his garden. So Bill, yeah, Bill gets everyone, no matter where they are, to bring him these bricks if they find them. And I was thinking, Bill Duff's going to kill me for not picking up these bricks and putting them in my bag. You know, but I thought, there's no way I'm doing that. So I, I kept going, but I had this thought in my head. And about a mile down the road, I uh, I went to get something out of my bag and I ended up resting on my pole because I'd, I'd broken a pole, so I only had one. And I was resting on my chin and I fell asleep standing up um, for about four or five minutes. And during that time, I was just getting these mad visuals of Bill Duff's head coming out of the darkness. You know, it's furious at me and it was shouting at me about the bricks. But I mean, Bill's a lovely guy, don't get me wrong. It's one of the nicest people I know. But um, at that point, I dropped a stick dropped my, my running pole and that woke me up and I woke up and I was just laughing like a psychopath on this trail laughing about the bricks and the witch and Bill Duff and the deja vu <laughs> it was uh that's when I started getting sort of like psychosis also I think you know you've got a half marathon to go <laughs> yeah um well I carried on from there and to be honest the next eight mile is a total blackout I remember it to cages but I don't know what happened. Anything could have happened. No idea. But I got to within 5K of the finish and then something else weird happened. I have a friend called Ben and Ben likes wine and he likes wine a lot. But Ben appeared beside me. He, he wasn't, I couldn't see him, but he was in my head and he was speaking to me as if he was next to me. So I could hear his voice like it was an auditory hallucination. I could hear his voice in my head. And he said he was taking me for cake and wine at the finishing hose. And I was happy about this. And Ben was doing the navigation and he was taking me down the track. And I started getting frustrated with Ben because I was so tired and exhausted and wet and cold. So I started arguing with him and I was saying, are you sure you know the way you're going, Ben? And he was like, uh, yeah, I know the way. Do you think you can do any better? And I was like, well, 
I think I can actually. And he was like, well, why don't you? And I ended up swearing at him and he was swearing at me and then he disappeared. And I think I must have offended him, but he, he, he left. And then I was stuck by myself. I think at that point I realised that Ben had never, ever existed and thought I was, you know, going crazy, you know. Um, <laughs> from there, I uh, I got out my, my sat nav, my GPS, and I, uh, I, I tried to find the way to the finish. And it was telling me it was 3K. But my deja vu was also telling me something different. My deja vu had taken over control and it was telling me the finish was about 500 metres up this hill. You know, by this point, I'd been going for about 79 hours on six hours sleep um, and things were going really bad. So the deja vu told me the finish was up this hill and I started walking up this hill. And when I got there, I was devastated to find out that the finish wasn't there. So I was standing on a hillside couldn't get a signal on my GPS. Um, it was too dark and I wasn't in a mental state to be able to map read or anything like that. So I kept walking and I walked 500 metres over this hillside and I ended up in a bog um, on this hillside and I was up to my ankles in cold muddy water. I'd stopped moving, so I was shivering and uh, the rain was beating down, the wind was coming at me and I was cold and I was thinking to myself, you know, unless I do something here, I could die. Because although I knew they had uh, they had a tracker on me and they would send someone for me if I stopped for too long, I didn't know how long they could it would take for them to get to me, you know, the, the Spine HQ safety team. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to throw the race at this point um, and I'm going to have to make shelter. Well, I was hallucinating badly. And at that point, I was seeing things like vans and cars and houses which just turned out to be snow patches when I got to them, or shadows. Um, there was nothing there, it was pitch black. And I, I couldn't, like, you, you have a camping mat and a bivy and a sleeping bag as part of the mandatory kit, but I couldn't put any of that down because I was in a bog, so it would just sink in the water and I would probably die anyway. So what I did was I wandered about and I found a dry stained dike and I dismantled it, um, dismantled the stones and laid them out to make a bed just on the bog at the side of this dike. And it was an old dike, so I didn't mind doing that. It wasn't like vandalism or anything. So and I, I got into the, the sleeping bag in the bivy on this mat. And as soon as my head hit the ground, I was asleep. And I, I, I lay there for what seemed like about five minutes, but it must have been about maybe two hours. And uh, the spine team arrived, uh, a couple of guys, and they they asked me, they woke me up and they asked me, you know, what are your plans? That was the first thing he said. And I thought that was a really thing, weird thing to say, as if, like, I, I would say, well, I think I'll just spend the night here. But um, they, they walked me off the hillside and down through the mud and the bog and the trees, down to this track, and then about half a mile along that to a transit van. And I've never been so happy to see a transit van. They put the heating on, and I was sitting in the front seat, so it was like being a kid again. And they drove me into to Hawes, where... Uh, the runner, Scottish runner Patricia Littlechild was waiting and um, she'd been following my dot, but she's a, a medic. She was a medic on the spine and uh, she was a she's a brain surgeon in real life. So it was weird because she was looking after my feet. And I think I was thinking a brain surgeon's looking after my feet. You know, <laughs> I thought that was also good. But um, when I got there, I had a chest infection that I picked up by just with my immune system being run down and sleeping in the bog and stuff. So Patricia gave me a COVID test and uh, just checked my pulse and my temperature, looked after me. She she was great. Um, we were talking about the West Highland Way race because she's doing that this year. 
But um, then I got to have some hot food and uh, shower, change my clothes, and I finally got some sleep, and it was it was amazing. Um, so in the end, I was 3K from the finish. I was the, out of the 64 DNFs, I was the last one to DNF. Um, the person that DNF was about 20 miles behind me, the last person, and there was 35 finishes in front of me. So that is my tale of woe. What a story, man. And what a story. Yeah, I've been sitting here. Now, Daniel, keeping in mind that I was watching this unfold on the app. As a dot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you were a dot that I was willing on. Yeah. And I was exchanging messages with Ross Beveridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, because I had been doing that all week. Um, and I was like, why is Daniel's dot stopped moving? And he's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking exactly the same as you. And we were both like, all right, wait a minute. He's just taking stock. He's just sorting things out. And then it'll start, you know. And I had an eye on the, the, the finish time clock as well. And I was like, that. Hey, I'm sending these mental signals to you. I don't, I don't know if you also heard me in your head, but I was feckin' trying. <laughs> <laughs> to be in it, to, to push, to, to just like shove you, shove you over the finish line. But hearing that story and what was actually going on on the ground and what you were contending with almost makes me feel guilty that I was just pushing your dog yeah. to what pause. Um, that makes I, sense. Yeah. I, I had I, a couple, I think I had about two or three hours to do that last 3K in. And if you think about 3K, it's like walking around the North Inch, but just a little bit more. Yeah. And I had three hours to do that in, but I never finished. That's how hard it is. When I was wa- when I was watching your dot, and I was looking at the time, I'm going, ah, he's going to fucking nail it, nail bother, man. It's just a donder. It's a donder now after what you've done. And then I mentioned, I used the word topography earlier. I'm not a, a navigator by any stretch, but I knew you were going up a hill by looking at the map. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, where the fuck's he going? You know? <laughs> and then the scary bit happened. Your yeah. dot stopped moving, right? Mm-hmm. We now know that you'd quite spectacularly made yourself safe, which is given who your head was at that moment, because Ben's fecked off with the wine, right? Yeah, so, know. so given, but so given what your headspace was, that's quite a remarkable thing to be able to do, to make yourself uh, a bed that is out of the wet, and to get in a bivy bag and to to keep yourself safe and to put yourself in the best possible position for the race team to come and find you. That's quite remarkable, and I'm just so happy that the spine team never slapped your face and asked you your name your date of birth and they would have flashed <laughs> you right back to edinburgh like the story that you told at the start i'm i'm intrigued though daniel and i think you maybe were touching on it at the end there when did you after experiencing that when did you start to feel normal so was it getting something to eat was it having a sleep was it getting warm it was the sleep Getting the two hours sleep, I felt I didn't feel normal, obviously, because I'd just done 188k. Yeah, yeah. The two hours sleep, when I woke up, I was no longer psychotic. So I think that's my m- main learning objective from this year's race is that I need to get more sleep along the way. I mean, even if I'd just got half an hour on top of when when I was beginning to feel dodgy, 
But the trouble is with the, the spine is you only get limited daylight. So when I was mm. talking about Horton, that was back in daylight and Bill Duff's Bricks was in daylight. So I wanted to keep going um, to, to make as much use of the daylight as possible. <laughs> but just when it got maybe to, to, to nightfall, I should have set up my bivvy and got a half hour sleep and then I could have just went on to the finish. Yeah. Um, but I just made myself psychotic by trying to push myself too hard. This this podcast is becoming like a tour of my DNFs. <laughs> no, no. I think, uh, you know what, though? Maybe this is something that you can listen back to and reflect on. and It'll cement that learning that you've just, you've just described. And I think you've already spoken about where you might do things differently. Yeah. Um, and certainly when we've spoken to Debbie recently, Debbie's got... 20 odd years of running and done a whole lot of learning but she's still learning from every yeah. single experience and I think we all will we'll all do that with that in mind are you tempted to go back yeah it's already booked um oh, for the love of the wee man yeah two hours <laughs> after that race and when I was sitting and Patricia was standing to my feet I was thinking what I could improve you know the kit changes I could make where I should have eaten more and um, where I should have slept and if someone had handed me my, my credit card and the race was open, I would have signed up two hours later. And that's not normal for me because, you know, when you do a really hard event and even if you're successful at it, it sometimes takes a day or two or even a week to think oh, I'm going to go and do that again. Well, this was two hours. I wanted to be back out there, you know. Yeah. It's, it's well, that attraction to me, that event. So instalment two coming up January 2023. <laughs> um, now, sometimes the um, second film in a series is, is is not so good as the first. I want this one to be as good with a happier ending. Yeah. For, for yeah. Me. One thing, John and I speak a lot about this as well, Daniel, and when, we're, when we're participating in events, nothing to the magnitude of what you have done, is about wrecking routes and getting a foot on the route. So, you know, just getting that familiarity with the terrain, with the feeling, whatever. You've done a feckin' awesome recce now, haven't you? It's like Yeah, apart from the bit that I actually need to recce, I've done the rest. <laughs> the last three kilometres. Yeah. Yeah, you've got that. Although, I hadn't wrecked, sorry, I hadn't wrecked the race the first time round because it was too far to go. I've got a young family and work commitments and I didn't make it down. Also, lockdown for part of the time uh, restricted that. So now that, that I've wrecked it all, pretty much looking forward to it. I'll, do you know what? There's my January, mid-January 2023 book. John's actually been tempted to, to think about signing up himself at some point. Cause he's well, you should. It's, it's certainly an experience. It's great. It's not like anything else I've ever done. Yeah. Well. Oh. No, I, I'm a bit of a sadist. I am definitely. I have that in me, and but I'm not committing to it. It's it's a it's a massive, massive thing. Um, that would take. I'm quite proud of myself that I've not signed up for it yet. <laughs> Put it that way, you know. It's, but it certainly the watching it unfold this year I don't know I was maybe a bit more immersed in it this year than I ever have been before um that may have been the coverage and the accessibility to the information that we had um maybe even just doing this podcast or maybe more aware of it 
as well. So it's certainly something that I'll that I'll be following in the in the future. I think maybe too, you know, you recognise names of people, yeah. so you've got an interest there. You've got it almost feels like a wee bit of a, an attachment. So, yeah. are is your how is your body now? Probably we're about a month. We're about a month since the spine. Yeah, nearly a month. Um, well, I still can't feel my big toes. Um, well, all of them. Um, after the event, I couldn't feel my big toes. And I spoke to a medic um, and Patricia and the medic said that he had the same after the spine. Um, I think it was the full spine. He couldn't feel his toes after just the big ones. And I think it might be nerve damage with carrying the 10 kilos on my back for that distance and that time has uh, has affected them the feeling has started to come back but it's just not fully returned mm-hmm. so that's there i don't know how that'll pan out but uh, i've got over the chest infection that took a course of antibiotics and uh, there's probably a load of psychological damage which i've still yet to deal with <laughs> yeah. well, but let's uh, talk about the chafing man do, do you see the cream yeah i do yeah that that right. sorted it out afterwards. Um, yeah, that's from that's so from the god. About that's five that. days of pseudo creming to be able to walk properly again. That's a pass. Pseudo creming. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. That's cool. yeah. So, are you are you going to be just walking for a wee while and maybe doing a bit of walking, trekking, or are you going to be thinking about doing a maybe a light jog? What's the story? What's coming up for you? Oh no, I've been running. Um, I'm back to running and hill bagging. Um, so I, I go running every Tuesday and Thursday, and I'm going out and row bagging on well Friday actually. Wow. You're currently it sounds to me, Daniel, that you're well into your completing the Munros. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to finish them. Like Donny Campbell's a big inspiration. What he did. Have you had Donny on the show? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not as we say yet. Not yet. He would be good. Uh, I think what he achieved is absolutely incredible. And I think um, people don't really understand how big it is. You know, I don't think the general public could get their head around what he did. Until you start bagging them in rows, you don't know how hard. I mean, to to do them all in 31 days and cycle and run and kayak between them all. that's, That's just an incredible achievement. And I thought to myself, well, if he can do that in a month, the least I can try and do is the 118 over the course of the year. So I'm going to try and finish them uh, by the end of this year. And that'll be kind of helped towards my training for the spine as well. So. Of course, of course. And that's that, you said at the start about having that addictive personality, that sort of collecting things, collecting yeah. on rows, collecting ultramarathon finishes, collecting experiences. Um, and I know that You've been on the Munros again since you finished the spine because um, our mutual friend David Downey um, let me know that he'd spent some time with you on the Munros recently. And it was him actually who said, You need to get him on because he's got some cracking stories. And he wasn't he wrong. Jeez, oh man. <laughs> so, do you have any, is there any running events you're thinking about doing, or is the Munros your focus for the rest of the year? Um, I've got four ultras booked, and uh, that I think uh, it's Highland Fling, Danoon, um the John Lucas Memorial one down in um, oh, yeah. Lanarkshire, and uh, sorry, 
a tarmac one? Mostly, there's a bit of trail in it. It's an yeah. I remember it being. I've never, I've never participated. It's 50, but it, 50 miles, is it? 50 miles. Um, it used to be 50 miles, but now it's down to about 44, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, no bother. Um, and then I'm hoping to get a place in Glen Ogle as well. Brilliant. Um, so keeping your hand in with the ultra. Yeah. <laughs> that that and could be a tumultuous. <laughs> I also uh, won a place in Edinburgh Marathon, believe it or not, uh, two years ago. So that's been rolled over from COVID. So I've got that place sitting in May. Um, I haven't done a road marathon since 2019. So that's going to be tough. Yeah. Not half. And oh, yeah. That's a big 2022. Well, it's already been a pretty big 2022, uh, let alone with the plans that you've got afoot. So amazing. Absolutely. I find it amazing how quickly you're able to turn around what must have been, and maybe maybe you still have a lot of processing to do from the spine. Maybe you still have a lot of processing mm-hmm. to do to get your head around that and what's happened. But to be out there, back outside in the hills and the great outdoors, I find that quite remarkable. You've even you've even thought about that doing that. So you must have a a hell of a drive, and it's it's admirable. It really is admirable. But you know what I think. We've taken up a fair bit of your time. I'm knackered listening to you, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. I, you know, when you were talking about your, your spine challenger experience, I was getting really, really emotional listening to that because I do. it took me right back to sitting watching that dog and you describing what you were going through when I'm sitting in the comfort of my house with a cup of tea and a chocolate biscuit going, how's she not moving? I, and now, me, going... I now fully appreciate, I never appreciated anything like what you'd experienced to hear it from your own lips and describe that. Thank you very, very much for that. Stephen, I think Uh Daniel is more than worthy of putting a shout out for Dialect Dictionary. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, he is going to be invited into the Dialect Dictionary. Um, Well, I don't, can you see this? Jameson's Dictionary of the Scottish Language with a supplement. Is that from some, 1910. Some four runners in a Young Hearts Run free. <laughs> the prototype. Imposters. <laughs> no, and I know that you're um, born brought up Perthshire. I was actually born in Sunderland, um, so I'm a, a Mackham, but I only spent um, about nine months of my life there, so um, I've grown up in Scotland, and Scotland's my home. Cool. So hit us with your Daniel Kershaw's dialect dictionary entry. I'm going to pick havering or haver because that's all I've done. I've havered. That is absolutely not the case. Now, you now know that every single person listening has got the proclaimers in their head. If I haver. Yeah. So there you go. Brilliant. Thank you very much. We've not had Haver. And Steve and I are both a pair of Haverers. If you'd had Haver, I was going to change it to Scunnard because that's what I'd be. I'd be Scunnard. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Haver and Scunnard both accepted into the, the fabled Young Hearts Run Free Dialect Dictionary. Double done. Haver and Scunnard. 
Um, that'd be a good t-shirt as well. I'm Havered and Scunnered. That would be a brilliant t-shirt. They could sell that in the Royal Mail in Edinburgh. Make a fortune. Um, oh, the Royal Mail. You go down there in the Edinburgh Marathon as well, don't you? If you finish it, it goes to Holyrood. Does it not go uh, to the... What do you make right? Musselburgh. Yeah. I'm thinking about the half marathon. You're making things up, John. You're hallucinating, mate. Aye, possibly. I think I did the rock and roll half marathon in Edinburgh, and it came down. It came down that wee bit to Holyrood Eye. So. That's a franchise one, eh? There was one of those in Liverpool and all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll nice over the world. Brilliant medals, guitar-shaped medals were really, really good. Where does your medal collection hang out, Daniel? Must be quite extensive. Um, yeah, I've got a wee office, and my brother-in-law's a joiner, so he built me a, a big sort of display for it. Um, a big steel beam? Well, <laughs> no, it might pull itself off the wall soon. <laughs> Brilliant. Could we ask for a photograph of that for sticking up on our socials? Yeah, I'll send it on to you, yeah. That'd be brilliant. And you know what? A wee segue, I like a segue, talking about the rock and roll half marathon, that leads us into a nomination for the Young Hearts Run Free uh, mm. Spotify Collection Volume 1, Stephen. Is that correct? Have I said that right? No, you haven't. <laughs> the Le Buff Buff Collection Volume 1. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take two. So, that leads us into... Okay. Your nomination for La Buff Buff Collection Volume 1. I'm not going to cut that first bit out, by the way. So, what's your track? And it can be anything. It can be anything to do with running. It doesn't have to be with running. What is the track okay. that floats the boat for Daniel Kershaw? I'm going to pick a one-hit wonder from when I started doing lots of events, and that was 2010. And uh, the song is Sail by AWOL Nation. It was used in Jeb Collis's videos, well, one of his videos where he's jumping off mountains in the wingsuit. Uh, okay. I think one of the videos was called Grinding the Crack. And um, I think wing, wingsuit jumping is a uh, a very inspirational thing. And I'd like to try that. But as I said, I've got an addictive personality, so I'd probably end up dead within a matter of weeks. Feet. You keep your feet in the ground, Daniel. <laughs> Um, yeah. But brilliant, that is in, that is into the La Buff Buff Collection Volume 1 that shall be there by the end of the week. Thanks, so thank you very much. I've no, I'm not aware of that song, so I'm looking forward to listening to it, and I think it'll be one of those that's familiar when I hear it. Maybe. Okay, well, we've covered a lot of ground, like 113 miles, just those extra two that will be covered next year that we missed out, but we have covered... Yeah. A hell of a lot of stuff. Now, Daniel, I said that already. There's bits to your running story that we've not even touched on. I know that. There's um, so doing things like seven marathons in seven days in Cumbria. Things like that that I could sit and talk to you for hours about. But we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to offer you back sometime in the future. Definitely this time next year. A hundred. Mm-hmm. John, stick that in the Young Hearts Run Free Diary. Oh, aye. I've got that, eh? All right, aye. okay. You're the holder of the Because, yeah, I think it's 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 fascinating um, your, your, um, just how much you've achieved in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, okay. definitely. I would I would agree 100% with that, or sorry, as we say about here, 100% with that. And... Although we've covered a lot of ground, I'd sort of get the feeling we've only scratched the surface. 
you know, there's a lot of stuff but the thing to is, do there. I still consider myself a, a fun runner, you know, um, and that's all I'll ever be. So, and I'm happy with that. That's a good I, place I to be. Yeah, I, I kind of find my niche to doing back-to-back challenges, and that's what I like. So. Yeah, brilliant. Yep. brilliant. Well, we yep. wish you every every single health and success in your 2022 going into 2023. But thank you very much, Daniel, for coming on and sharing part of your story so far. We'll definitely have you back to get more about that. But thank you very much for your time this evening. Yeah, no, thanks. Thank you for having me. Great talking to you. Absolute pleasure.